Welcome to City Church. City Church is a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. I want to welcome everyone, and especially to those of you who are joining us online, thank you for tuning in. And it's my privilege to uh, stand before you today. An old farmer went to the city one weekend and attended the big city church. He came home and his wife asked him how it was. Well, said the farmer, it was good. They did something different, however. They sang praise choruses instead of hymns. Praise choruses, asked the wife. What are those? Oh, they're okay. They're sort of like hymns, only different, said the farmer. Well, what's the difference, asked his wife. The farmer said, well, it's like this. If I were to say to you, Martha, the cows are in the corn, well, that would be a hymn. If, on the other hand, I were to say to you, Martha, 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 oh, Martha, 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 the cows, the big cows, the brown cows, the black cows, the white cows, the black and white cows, the cows, 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 are in the corn, are in the corn, are in the corn, the corn, 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 corn. Then if I were to repeat the whole thing two or three times, well, that would be a praise chorus. As chance would have it, the exact same Sunday, a young man from the city church, not this city church, attended the small town church, he came home and his wife asked him how it was. Well, said the young man, it was good. They did something different, however, they sang hymns instead of regular songs. Hymns, asked the wife, what are those? <laughs> They're okay, they're sort of like regular songs, only different. The young man said, and his wife asked, well, what's the difference? The young man said, well, it's like this. If I were to say to you, Amy, the cows are in the corn, well, that would be a regular song. If, on the other hand, I were to say to you, Oh, Amy, dear Amy, hear thou my cry. Inclinest thine ear to the words of my mouth. Turn thou thy whole wondrous ear by and by to the righteous and glorious truth. For the way of the animals, who can explain? There in their heads is no shadow of sense. Hearkenest they in God's sun or his rain, unless from the mild, tempting corn they are fenced. Yea, those cows in glad bovine, rebellious delight, have broke free their shackles, their warm pens eschewed. Then goaded by minions of darkness and night, they all my mild, chilly wax sweet corn chewed. So look to that bright, shining shining day by and by, where all foul corruptions of earth are reborn, where no vic vicious animals makes my soul cry, and I no longer see those foul cows in the corn. Then if I were to do only verses 1, 3, and 4 and change keys at the last verse, that would be a hymn. <laughs> I'm thankful that I get to address uh, us this morning on our new series called Going Vertical. And Going Vertical, as you've already noted, is really our conversation about wor what worship is. And Pastor Pete last week 
laid out some important biblical foundations for us to begin to speak about this. And, um, of course, we are people of worship this morning. Um, I, once again, am touched by the, the selection of songs that we were encouraged to offer up and to give expression. And so I, I just love it. I love the the line about God taking our anxiety. And as pastor of congregational care, this is where I live. Not in anxiety, but in in helping people to find uh, a different and better place as we do counseling together and as others in the church offer the same kind of care. Now, worship is a many-faceted thing, right? Uh, we just read a funny, I just read a funny story of two different views of what worship is. And um, now we understand that that's not what worship is. Uh, it's not uh, relegated to songs or kinds of songs. Um, but it is many-faceted, and it has been uh, the case for a very long time in our human history. And we see this to be the case in the familiar story we're about to read this morning. And I'm reading from John chapter 4, verses 19 through 26. This is a story familiar to many of us. It's the story of Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman. She's a woman of, uh, who is uh, the Jews considered to be uh, half-breeds. Samaritans were, were half-Jewish or partly Jewish and partly Assyrian and some other, maybe some other things over the years. But uh, there was a great strife between these people groups. And if you recall in Jesus' parable on the Good Samaritan, this makes it even more powerful that it was the Samaritan who helped this man on the road rather than his fellow Jews, who are religious leaders. So there's some power there. But there's power in this story. It's not a parable. But in the fact that Jesus engaged this woman at all. Uh, and I'll encourage you to read the entire story, but I'm just going to pick it up from verse 19, and we're going to get into the topic this morning. Verse 19. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. And this is on the heels of Jesus revealing some intimate details about her life that was kind of scandalous. And so now she's saying, wow, you must be a prophet because you know these things. Um, but as a prophet, um, since you are, uh, I'm going to ask you this question. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here on Mount Gerizim? where our ancestors worship. And Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. That is, Messiah comes through the Jews. But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him this way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. That's the word of the Lord. Shall we pray? 
Well, Lord God, we are thankful again that we get to be in this place, whether we are here in this building or we are gathered um, in various places online. It is you who brings us, Lord, in, into unity as to your people called the church. We are, we are in spiritual sibling relationship, and for that we are thankful. We're thankful too, Lord, for, for the gift of worship. God, you have, you have provided a way for us to be able to express our deepest hearts longings and cries wherever we are whether we are in a place of uh, immense joy and and happiness or where perhaps we're in a in a in a difficult place but you meet us lord all of us and you touch us where we need to be um, touched in our hearts and in our lives be with us now lord we pray um, and may your word speak to us and and challenge us, and encourage us. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Whenever Jesus engaged an individual, that person came away from the encounter changed, most usually. There are notable exceptions, like if you remember the story of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus asking him the question, how do I inherit, how do I get eternal life? And they went through this interchange, and Jesus did say, but there's this one thing you need to do in order for you to begin to follow me in the way that, um, that you must follow me. And then the rich young ruler, if you recall the story, um, turns away, sad. He doesn't. It's too much for him, right? But most, um, most usually, people who encounter Jesus are healed or touched in some way, and they walk away. They, they leave that place um, changed. Um, such is the case with the Samaritan woman. Um, we are witnesses to this exchange. And this exchange finds its apex, I think, uh, in the discussion about the matter of worship, specifically the nature of true worship. And Jesus spoke right into the heart of this most heated topic between Samaritans and Jews. Where to worship? Where is it proper? Mount Gerizim or Jerusalem? Jesus speaks to us about what it is we are committed to in terms of how worship is to be done and experienced, what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. He speaks to us. Now, location is not insignificant, for the stories in the Old Testament make much out of locations and landmarks, doesn't it? Memorials were set up in specific places to commemorate God's faithfulness. There's a song we love to sing, um, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, and in there there's a line, Here I raise my Ebenezer. This is a memorial. Here, I raised my Ebenezer. And the Ebenezer stone was to, whenever we, they encountered the Ebenezer stone, it was to call to memory that, about God's faithfulness. Hitherto hath the Lord helped us, if you want to use the King James Version. And I'm not sure why that language is still in my vocabulary, but it's the way I memorized scripture as a kid. And that tells you that I'm kind of old. But these memorials, these places were not insignificant. But sometimes these markers, these places, these forms, these um, things 
um, became a, a bit too sacred. Maybe so sacred that um, we began to miss the point. That these things were to point to Jesus, point to God, who God is. And we don't stop at the forms. I think of the, uh, in church history, the, the building of cathedrals. If any of you have had, um, had the uh, good experience of, of oh, uh, cathedrals here in Europe, wherever in the world. But if you've ever been in any of those, uh, you walk into those and they are these grand displays of human achievement, really. They're, and in some of these, like the, the Cathedral of Notre Dame, took, I think, more than 100 years to build. You know, so the people who designed them didn't live to see the fulfillment of the, of the completed product. But anyway, these things are vast and they are awe-inspiring. And it's hard not to just get that impressed with it that you, you forget that this is about God. These are such a magnificent creations of our own hands. And, and, but it's a testimony, too, of the, the devotion that people had, uh, had to their God, that God was worthy of, of something this grand. And the way that they were designed, the, the, you know, the high ceilings were supposed to lift your eyes upward, right, and toward God. And then the, gla the stained glass... Um, uh, a reason for those uh, in a day when scripture was not accessible to people, um, whether because it was not accessible because there weren't the Gutenberg press hadn't been invented yet, or because by and large uh, the population was illiterate. Stained glass told the story, told the gospel. So during the day, the the light would shine in through the stories and remind people of the gospel. And at night, the light would shine out through the stained glass into the world to tell the story. So these things were purposeful in their construction and in and engendered worship, right? So these things are meant to um, uh, inspire us to worship. Um, but sometimes things like that kind of get in the way of that. And here Jesus is addressing this issue that worship is not about the location. It's not about the mountain. It's not about the city. It is about what? Worshiping God in spirit and in truth. So let's take a look at those qualities. God is seeking those who would worship him in spirit and truth. Now, I know that all of us, Maybe most of us have some notion of what that means. And, and that's right and good. But I want to use this text to help us understand a bit more. Perhaps um, maybe you might learn something uh, this morning. So what does it mean to worship God in spirit? It means, among other things, that, that God is immediately accessible to worship in spirit means we don't have to make a trip to Jerusalem or to Mount Gerizim or to some other holy site on some particular time on the calendar. But to engage God personally in worship, we need only be where we are. Jesus 
made it possible for us to enter into the holy place. The writer to the, uh, uh, to the Hebrew church said, by a new and living way, by a new and living way, he has made open to us. We have access. We have access. There's no barriers and there are no intermediaries. Jesus is our only high priest. So there are no barriers. That's what, in part, worship in spirit means. That we have access to the very presence of God. In spirit also has to do with the manner in which we engage the Lord. It is a spiritual experience. It is. We are people God created with spirits. And that is how we engage God, spirit to spirit. Now, we use our bodies, we use other forms to, to get there. And, and I think, and uh, perhaps, Pastor, I'm speaking now, I think I'm speaking outside of my area of expertise, but perhaps Pastor Stephen can correct me on this, but I think that the Hebrew has at least eight um, words that describe eight different ways we use our body to engage God in worship. And that is very important. Our, our bodies and our words need to follow what's going on inside of our spirits, right? And that's why we raise our hands. That's why people um, lay flat on the ground in what we used to call in my day suck carpet, uh, which is kind of crude, but, um, you know, laying out before the Lord prostrate, and other forms of engaging our bodies. Why? Because it makes that moment real. And it also is a sign of us understanding what's going on. When we raise our hands like this, we surrender. When we, when we lay prostrate before the Lord, we do so in utter reverence. Recognizing that God, you know, God is the, the king of creation, the one who has uh, made all that there is, the one who has been witness to every, every bit of history from the dawn of time till now. He is the God of creation and the God of all time. And when we come to the place of worship, it is appropriate for us to offer honor and respect to God. But there are other forms, right? We engage our bodies, but that engagement follows again from, from that moment, that experience of spirit-to-spirit -spirit engagement. Worship God in spirit, access, and the manner in which we do it. Now, there are times when you just don't feel it, right? I mean, I know, for me, as a pastor, right, scandalous, I don't always feel it, right? And thankfully, none of what we do and how we follow Jesus is based on how we feel. But let's have grace for ourselves, too, because we live in a broken world. We do. We live in a world in which we experience burdens and, and trouble and stresses and anxieties and grief and all of these things. We who are students in this room, you have a special kind of stress that you live with, too, right? I mean, if you're taking a full load, every one of your professors 
believes that his or her class is the only one that you have to uh, be concerned about, right? I know the story. I have a college student and uh, a graduate uh, soon, and boy, the complaints were such that, oh. And I remember that myself. My professor seemed to ignore the fact that I had four other classes or five other classes, but such is the case. But we do live in a world in which we experience brokenness and difficulties, and sometimes that, is, that makes it difficult. That presents as a barrier to our engaging God, right? It does. But all I can say to you this morning is, is that we need to press on and push through. And guess what? You are not alone. For God's Holy Spirit is there to help lead us and guide us and be with us. But also God's people is there to help us engage him in spirit, in worship. Because those broken times are when we need him the most. So what you hear me saying here is that worship is, is not all about the warm fuzzies, right? We don't, we don't worship because there's a presence of flowery feelings. We worship because that is who we are made to be. And especially in the troubled times, we come to the Lord. But sometimes it's not life's situations and stresses that hinder worship. Sometimes what hinders our worship of God is a simple lack of understanding of who he is. And now we come to the moment, to the, to the phrase, part of the phrase, to worship in spirit and in truth. What does it mean to worship in truth? Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, you Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. As if to say, it's really not possible for you to worship because you don't know much. And an important aspect of, about what it means to worship in truth is understanding something about the one to whom your worship is directed. Now, don't hear me say, you must have that all settled before you can start to worship. We all of us are in different places, and God reveals himself where we are. I know God very much differently and more than I did when I was 12 years old. And, and some of us who have come to faith more recently as adults, we are growing in our understanding of who God is. But A.W. Tozer, a preacher and Bible um, teacher, said this in his book called The Knowledge of the Holy. He opens the chapter with this insight. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And then he says, worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts about God. So what we think about God, what we know about God has impact for how we engage him. Does that make sense? It's not unlike our relationships across this way with our friends, with, with whomever, right? Um, if I don't know you, I'm not going to engage you very well, right? And you, me. But as we learn each other and get to know each other more and more, as we exchange some important information about, about our lives and our histories, our, th that, that creates a deeper sense of knowing 
and intimacy, right? Um, when, um, when I do couples counseling, it's not uncommon for one or the other member of the couple, uh, the, the couple, um, to, to cry out and ask, you know, of their spouse or their partner, I, I wish you would, I wish you would open up to me more. That is not an uncommon cry on the part of one or the other. Why? Because they don't feel like they know them, they can be intimate without that openness. And truth not only means that we have a right understanding and a growing understanding of who we worship, but truth also means that we do so in, a, in authenticity. We do so with genuineness. We do so openly and honestly. And this Samaritan woman, though surprised by Jesus' revelation that he knew about her intimate details, um, something that she would rather have kept concealed. But this is why she went at noontime, the hottest day of, uh, hottest part of the day, to go fetch water. Normally, you would fetch water either in the morning or the evening when it was cooler. But she was hiding in plain sight, so to speak, because of her lifestyle was judged to be um, scandalous and uh, her community disapproved of her. And that's all too painful to face, right? So what it means to worship in spirit and in truth is to bring all of that to God. Whether we, what we bring is neat and tidy and shiny, it doesn't matter. God wants all of us. Brennan Manning in his book, Abba's Child, in the chapter titled The Imposter, he wrote, we even refuse to be our true selves with God and then wonder why we lack intimacy with him. The deepest desire of our hearts is for union with God. From the first moment of our existence, our most powerful yearning is to fulfill the original purpose of our lives. And that is to see him more clearly, to love him more dearly, to follow him more nearly, as the old prayer says. We are made for God, and nothing less will fully satisfy us. Question is, how are we connecting with truth in knowing God and being known by God? Finally, God is spirit, Jesus says, and this is how he engages us. And Jesus is not interested in telling us some, uh, sharing that God is spirit in the sense of his static being, his essential nature. But more, the context tells us that God is spirit because that's the way he works and acts. Much like when we are told that God is light and God is love, God acts um, in bringing light into the darkness. God acts in loving ways. Um, and these, these activities, God is spirit, helps to draw us in to that place of genuine worship. You know, Jesus didn't have to engage this woman at all. It was culturally appropriate him, for him to not engage her, right? Because she's a Gentile Samaritan and woman, right? And um, we are thankful, though, that Jesus was not and is not um, bound by these social conventions that would marginalize certain groups of people. 
we see Jesus engaging her. He doesn't approve of the, the way that she's living her life that creates more brokenness for her. But he, he in some way sets her free, and we, we hear that in the rest of the story. Rory, Rory Nolan, a composer and songwriter, offered this reflection. He said, the possibility of engaging in worship but not being changed by it reminds me of what I like to call neutrino worship. Now, those of you who are physics people, you understand what neutrino is. In physics, a neutron is a neutrino is a subatomic particle smaller than a neutron, which carries no electrical charge or measurable mass. Because it is electrically neutral, a neutrino is able to pass through solid matter without being affected. In the same way, we often let worship pass over us without allowing it to shape our behavior. Worship is reduced to a feel-good experience rather than a life-changing encounter with Jesus. And we see this beginning to happen with the woman known as the Samaritan woman, her engagement with Jesus, her understanding of what worship is, is beginning to change. Her question, why do you Jews say this when we believe this? Her question fades into the background because now she's engaged the, the God she has come to know as Messiah. Jesus reveals himself. William Temple defied worship as the submission of all our nature to God, the quickening of conscience by his holiness, the nourishment of mind by his truth, purifying of imagination by his beauty, the opening of the heart by his love, and submission of the will to his purpose. All these gathered up in adoration is the greatest experience, expression of which we are capable. My question for you is how is Jesus speaking to your heart of this issue for you? God is seeking true worshipers. Will you be found among those today?